0: This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. In this episode, we're joined by Shea Buckner. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting youth sport coaches and parents who help our children succeed both on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by professional coaches, Olympians, world-class athletes, general managers, and leading youth sports experts who share their insights from their own sports careers. In this episode, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with 2012 water polo Olympian Shea Buckner.
1: i a professional. I have young kids that are watching me. I have families that are watching me and kids that look up to me. And if I'm playing without responsibility and without integrity, these kids are going to take that to their trainings mm. and their, their games, and it's, it's not going to be conducive for a healthy, uh, I guess, team slash healthy sport.
0: Shea shares the importance of honoring the game and playing with respect and integrity. He also provides insight on how parents can teach their children the team philosophy of sport at a young age.
2: Shay, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Shay Buckner was born in Huntington Beach, California. He played water polo for Villa Park High School, where he scored an amazing 364 career goals on his way to twice being named a first team All American. He began his college water polo career at the University of California, Berkeley, and then transferred to the University of Southern California. At USC, he won back-to-back national championships in 2008 and 2009, both years being named a first-team All-American. In 2010, Shay began playing for the USA water polo team, and he recently represented the United States in the Olympics in London. He now plays professionally in Italy. Shea, thanks for joining me and the Responsible Sports audience today.
1: Hi, guys. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here.
2: So, Shay, I know you grew up in Southern California as the youngest of four, And I've read that your older siblings were also pretty impressive athletes as well. And I'm curious if there were certain things that you feel like your parents did to support you guys that really allowed you and your brother and your sisters to excel uh, the way you did in sports.
1: You know, I think as all athletes will attest to, or most will, your family and who you surround yourself with is incredibly important to how successful you become. And I think my parents really just, Pushed me. They didn't push me towards water polo, per se, but they always pushed me to do my best at what I was doing. So when it came down to water polo, I chose water polo as my love, and my parents, my mom and dad, continued to push me and provide me with the best tools possible to become what I wanted to be in my sport, which was always an Olympian. I always wanted to be an Olympian. My parents just backed me up in that journey the whole way, actually.
2: And when when was it that water polo sort of became that primary sport and you knew that that was going to be the one for you?
1: So my dad happened to be a water polo player as well, and he was a highly uh college player. And uh, in 1996 Olympics, I was sitting there watching uh, the Olympics with my father on TV, and we were watching water polo, and I was just sitting there talking to my dad, and he was talking about the sport and kind of reliving his days in the sport. And I just said to him, you know, Dad, because at that time I was also a water polo player, I was about 10 years old, and I said, you know, Dad, I want to be a water polo player, and I want to be, Olymp- be an Olympian. He's like, okay, and from that moment on, it was like, it was my obsession to be an Olympian, and it never left me, and it was, I'd say so, the deciding moment in my life was when I told my father that, watching those, those Olympic games.
2: That's amazing. Did he ever actually coach you and your teams, or your siblings' teams?
1: Um, my dad never coached any of my teams. As far as my brother, my dad coached one of my brother's back age group teams, 16 and under way back when. Um, but he was always that coach. Once you leave the game, you know, you get in the car and your dad's always that person you look to like, oh, dad, what should I have done here? He's like, well, you could have done this. You could have done that. And he was always that respected opinion other than my coaches. And so I guess he was my biggest coach probably throughout life and still is every time, I finished on a game at the Olympics, he still has something to say, like, oh, you should have done this or you should have done that. It's pretty nice to have somebody that you can always respect their opinion and keep you, I guess, grounded and humble. And my dad was always amazing at that.
2: Yeah, I think you're, you're getting at some of the answer to my next question, but I was curious if you could tell some of our responsible sports parents who are listening, um, what do you think are some tips of how they can interact with their kids when they themselves do know a lot about the sport? You know, so your dad having played to such a high level, um, you know, he knows a lot about it. And it, I think that can be a little bit of a minefield sometimes when the parents consider themselves such an expert. Um, but it can also be a real positive. So can you can you give the parents listening some advice?
1: Yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, you never want to make the kid or the athlete, for example, feel like you're preaching to them. You just want to always make it seem like it's mutual and you're helping them. Like, hey, what did you think about that play you had, and then let the the athlete respond, and then you come back at him and be like, well, what if you tried this? I think there's ways you can present things to a kid and an athlete. I know I was pretty stubborn, so I I also happened to be pretty good when I was younger, so it was hard sometimes for me to take in the advice if it was phrased the wrong way, and as a young and when you're immature and you're not really realizing that a parent is coming from a, a place of love and a place of help. You don't really realize that it's constructive criticism. I think the way the way you say it, the delivery, and trying to grow more as a friend and as a not as a coach. You try and treat the athlete as a friend. You're mm-hmm. presenting them with advice that you happen to know because you are an expert. But you're 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 treating them as a mutual per se, not as I'm preaching to you and telling you how to do it. I, I feel like you'll get resistance in that. It, from that
2: what about the situation where um the parent has so much knowledge they may feel like the way that the coach is handling a situation or where he's playing certain players it's not the best um what would you suggest to a parent where they feel like they have things they want to they want to tell the coach about or talk to the coach about
1: um, you know there's two sides to that. I feel like when I'm a parent, I'm always gonna think my kid's gonna be the best. And there's thirteen <laughs> other <laughs> there's thirteen other kids on the team whose parents think they're the best player. There's thirteen other players who happen to think they should more as well. But in a team sport you to keep it in perspective and say, What's the goal of the team and how am I gonna help that that us achieve that goal? And as a parent, you don't wanna take away from your kids ability to achieve that team goal regardless of how you feel if your kid if your child is on board with the team philosophy I think it's not I don't I don't know if it serves a purpose to get involved in with the coaching with the other parents and that kind of talk
2: yeah so it seems like before sort of jumping in and taking that phone call with a coach or approaching the coach at practice sort of biting your tongue and really thinking it through before you jump in and do that as a parent
1: it's not personal He's there to run a team, you know, and he's there to try and get the team to win. So it's not personal. He's doing what he believes is best, usually. Of course, there's situations where a coach isn't. Mm -hmm. And especially in more age group sports when parents are coaching teams and whatnot, it it, it might be a little more difficult. And at that point, I think it's okay to speak with a a coach and ask questions and say, hey, why do you think my child's not playing? Or what what can I do to get my child more playing time?
2: That's great. That's great. Um, so Shay, you achieved just tremendous success in high school. You know, twice being named a first-team All-American, and I'm curious if you can let our audience know what do you think it was that made you so successful in high school. And um, when you were in high school, did you find yourself comparing your achievements to those of your older siblings? I think two of whom uh, actually went on to play water polo at USC.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, interesting enough, I played uh, three years at Gold Park High. I remember, by the way, these statistics you'll see here. It's kind of crazy. But um, my brother went to Servite, and I went to Servite my freshman year in high school and was there for one semester, and uh, Servite was an all-boys school. And and uh, I was going to go to Villa Park High School regardless, but my dad asked me, Shay, will you please give Servite a try? And I'm like, you know, Dad, I'll, I'll go there because I'd like to play baseball and because they have a great b- baseball program and whatnot. So I went to Servite, and Servite didn't end up being a fit for me. So I, w- I ended up transferring to Villa Park and playing three years at Villa Park, and that's where I scored 300 and uh, whatever 64 goals in three years, right? I guess the thing that stood out the most to me was my brother was two years ahead of me, and his junior year in high school, he scored 110 goals around, right? So my junior year in high school, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to score way more than I have to because my <laughs> brother was the MVP of the league, and he had one CIF, and he, you know, I, in my mind, my brother was like, the guy that I always wanted to beat out, you know, mm-hmm. it was always pushing me. And we had a kind of an inner family thing with my dad talking about how Pat scored five goals last game. And I like, all right, I'm going to score six goals this game. And then, we'll, you know, so it was always like uh, the, it was a competition, really healthy competition. So I, I guess, yes, that was uh, as far as being successful in high school, having that inner family competition was definitely some, a driving factor, but, at the end of the day, the thing that pushed me the most was my uh, – I set goals.
2: Mm-hmm. I learned
1: to set, set goals from a really young age, you know, and I, I told myself my senior year in high school I was going to set the Orange County record for goals. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a really, really good team that supported me, and I was able to help them. And scoring 186 goals my senior year in high school helped the team be successful. So I was really fortunate with that situation to be able to not only achieve my goal, but be able to do it inside of a team atmosphere. And it mm-hmm. was really constructive. You know, I we had a great team, you know, and a great support group and a lot of really good players on the team. So I was able to achieve those goals.
2: So Shay, um, so it seems like, you know, in, in high school, you had your one year at Servite and then and then three years at Villa. And then you did a similar thing in college where you were at Cal Berkeley for a year and then decided to transfer and had your time at USC. And I'm curious if you could tell our responsible sports listeners a little bit about how you made that decision and if that was something that you talked over with your family and got their input and how that all um, went down.
1: Yeah. Um, you're not the school's tool to use. And at the end of the day, if, if it's an, the education is not a fit. And for me, it was education. I, of course, I'm a water polo player and I'm an athlete and, you know, I happen to be a scholar athlete and whatnot, but education came first. And when I went to Berkeley, um, I'm lucky enough, once again, to, to have had options. You know, I was able to call coach, the coach at Cal and speak with him and explain my situation. And you know what? He was really understanding. They have a great program over there. He was really understanding. We talked through it, and he ended up saying, you know what, Shay, we'll give you a release. And I said, well, I appreciate it. And so I, I had options. I was able to go to other coaches like USC and Pepperdine and UCLA and ask them if they'd be interested and a, a player like me, and because I was going to use that to get scholarship and whatnot, you know, I, I got a lot of uh, feedback from those coaches and actually a lot of reciprocations. They were all interested in me, and I was fortunate enough to have a lot of options. And at the end of the day, my second choice was USC. After Cal, I ended up transferring to USC. And it was the best decision I've ever made in my life because I was able to get into a major that was I felt like scripted for me. It was actually what I wanted to do. And because I was happy scholastically, that transferred into my production in the pool. And it took my focus, the stress away from studies. And I was able to put more energy and focus into what I was doing as an athlete. And at the end of the day, it was probably the best decision I've made in my life up to this point.
2: What was your major at USC?
1: Um, I studied public policy development and the major was real estate development. So real estate finance is what it was.
2: Um, so I guess back to 2008, um, when you just you played a really important role in that undefeated season, I just can't imagine having a collegiate undefeated season in almost any sport. Um, but both that year in 2008 and in 2009, you were actually named USC's best Defender. And I know looking at your goal scoring totals as an attacker those years that some people might be surprised to also read about your best defender honors. And I'm curious if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what went into being honored, um, you know, on the defensive end as well.
1: We had a coach that really, he was a great leader, and he helped define each player's position in the pool. When you got in the water, you knew what you needed to do, and you you never had to worry about it. Like, I'd get in the pool, and, you know, I have to go shut down the best player on the other team, and Mm -hmm. I happen to have to go score goals to help this team out. It wasn't about me, I want to score goals or anything like that. the team needed me to score goals. That team was an amazing team. If you look at the accolades. Of the team we had an Olympian in 2008, silver medalist. We had uh, the Australian. Our goalie was also going to be an Olympian. We had three Olympians on that team and like 11 junior national team players. It was an amazingly talented team. And for you to look around and be like, my role is to score goals. His role is to get assists. His role is to... Lead the counterattack, and every guy had a, such a specific role that it, it came together like, like water. Just it was the fluidity and the way we moved. It. it wasn't really about me or what I did as an individual. It was about being part of that team and how we were going to accomplish our goals. Like, yes, as an individual, but for that team unit. Mhm. Mhm.
2: Um, So so one of the things when we talk about responsible sports coaches, um, we talk about them, of course, striving to win and really preparing their team to win, and at the same time teaching life lessons that go beyond the pool. And I'm curious if any of your coaches really stand out to you in particular when it comes to the life lesson teaching part, where you feel like there may be lessons you learned through water polo that you'll be able to apply, you know, well into your career and um, maybe even into, you know, becoming a parent or your family or anything down the road, um, when you're not even playing, bo- uh, playing water polo anymore.
1: You know, I, I think, um, there's a lot of coaches that I've had over the years, but more importantly, it's the teammates I've had,
2: hmm. to be
1: honest, that, mm-hmm. that have really, um, shaped who I am as a man and influenced who I'm hope to be and want to become in the future. Because you look at it, I spend more time with my teammates. The Olympic team prior to 2012, I, I spent eight months every single day with these guys. And, and I, I know these guys better than I I know anybody else in my life, pretty much, because you're there every day and spending time with them, and, and that's an influential. It has to be influential, you know, and I'm looking up to some of these guys as my idols, and and mm-hmm. you happen to be teammates with them. So at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of coaches who who have influenced me, but but your teammates throughout the years, starting in age, you're progressing all the way to my professional career, the ones who have really shaped me as a professional, me as an amateur, and me as an Olympian. And you, you have people that have done it. They've, they're have so accoladed. Guys go to Stanford and win four national championships. Guys are here. They win the MVPs and whatnot. And all the guys around you are the most successful people in America as far as sports is concerned, that gives you something to look up to and base yourself off of and, I guess, ask for feedback because they've done what you've done. And that that really, I believe, is what helped shape me in the direction that I'm going in my life and where I'm at now.
2: That's great. Um, are there like one or two sort of specific life lessons that you feel like you've taken away from that interaction with your teammates, You know, whether that is sort of how to function well as part of a team or how collectively you can bounce back after maybe a tough loss or, or things of that nature that you could talk to our audience about a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, as we all know, it's kind of cliche, but teamwork is uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. obviously the the driving factor. But more along that line is I think uh, what it's about is being humbling yourself enough to know that there's 13 or whatever sport you play, or there's many other players on the same team as you, that are thinking possibly different things, and how are you going to get those thirteen in Waterpous case individuals to have the same collective goal, beside what they actually what the individuals are thinking?
2: Mm-hmm. So how
1: are we going to have thirteen players on the same page? And you call that teamwork. I, I like to call it unity. How are we going to mm-hmm. unify mm-hmm. thirteen guys and have a one vision, one goal? And when you're in the water, you're not playing as thirteen or six or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're playing mm-hmm. as one. Mm-hmm. That's that's the greatest lesson. I feel like that even transfers into family. Mm-hmm. That transfers into the business realm. It, it, it's it's I guess transgresses all all levels of society. Or when sports is a microcosm of society, in my opinion. You you can look at sports in many ways, and it, uh, at the end of the day, the teamwork aspect and the team building and the unity really is exemplary of what you want to have in a business environment, a family environment, or whatnot.
2: That's great. That's great. It's often that unity is a lot easier said than done.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: so I, I want to talk to you a bit about a concept um, inside of Responsible Sports that we call honoring the game. Um, and it's it's sort of a take on sportsmanship where we really want athletes and coaches and fans um, to honor the roots of the game. So honoring the rules, um, the opponents, officials, teammates, and self. And I think at times, from what I know of water polo, it can be a little tricky just because, you know, the official rules uh, state that holding an opponent is actually against the rules. But many coaches will actually teach players you know, how to hold underwater and, and not have it be obvious. And I'm sort of curious what your take is on that part of honoring the game um, in your sport and if this could ever be confusing for young players.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think at the end of the day, you've got to act with integrity.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: the rules in water polo are you're not allowed to hold a player. But if I'm going down on a counterattack and I'm grabbing a player on his leg or whatever, you're not acting without integrity. You're playing within the realm of the sport. It's like... In basketball, when Dwight Howard posts up, well, he's not allowed to throw his shoulder back into his defender as hard as he can, but he's going to get in there, and bump, and you know, get position and play mm. physical. And so, mm-hmm. there's a fine line there between me playing dirty and um, you know, getting inside someone's suit or grabbing their cap or whatnot, and grabbing their leg or pushing off them. Or we play extremely physical sport. Mm-hmm. Water polo is extremely physical. It's all about grabbing and um, wrestling, and it's all about that. That's what our sport is. So I think at the end of the day, you've got to act with integrity.
2: Have you ever witnessed in your career an, an instance where maybe the coach feels like the player is either displaying almost like too much integrity, or maybe that's not the right way to put it, but too much, uh, sort of they're going a little bit too clean and not pushing the envelope enough, or maybe an instance where the coach, um, you know, the the player is going too far and the coach has to step in and say, we got to clean this up a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you see that in all sports Mm -hmm. where you want to gain a competitive edge, you know, and coaches are telling you to do certain things. You're like, oh, coach, I don't know. And the, the coach is trying to gain the competitive edge. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you're the responsible party. You've got to represent mm-hmm. yourself for what you believe in mm-hmm. and within your own integrity. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other end, I've seen many players that are playing too physical and playing too dirty. And it's the coaches, in my opinion, responsibility to tell that player and step in at that moment. Mm-hmm. I've seen this happen a lot where where coaches come in and reprimand a player doing things that are just, uh, you know, out of the integrity of the sport. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've seen both sides of it. And uh, I think at the end of the day, you've got to represent yourself for what you believe is uh, a proper re- representation of an athlete because if you have people watching you. And, you know, as a professional, I have young kids that are watching me. I have families that are watching me and kids that look up to me. And if I'm playing without responsibility and without integrity, these kids are going to take that to their trainings and yeah. their, their games, and it's, it's not going to be conducive for a healthy uh, I guess team slash healthy sport. Mhm,
2: mhm. Um, so, so you obviously recently returned from competing in the 2012 Olympics in London, and I know our listeners are going to be really curious to hear from you just about what that experience was like, and and what are some of the highlights that you'll you'll always remember.
1: Wow, I mean, when you ask, it was a two week uh, tournament. I guess you could say the Olympics was two weeks long. It went by in a flash. It, it really did. I spent my whole life trying to get there. Like I like I said, I started uh, 16 years prior with that being my sole goal. So it was a very, very steep climb to get to the top of that mountain, the Olympic mountain. And the moment I realized I was there was walking in opening ceremonies. I'm standing, standing next to LeBron James. I'm looking around, and I see my my entire family. I can, I pick them out of a hundred thousand people. I see my family there, you know, and they're freaking out. And then I, I'm able to wave and they were able to see me back, which was just crazy because there's 10,000 athletes um, in the center of the arena and they were able to see me. And it was just that moment. That I'm like, wow, I'm I'm at the Olympics. Like I've achieved, I, I've achieved my goal, mm. you know? So um, yeah, that moment, I guess, epitomized my Olympic career and, the the metaphor of the mountain climbing that mountain was, uh, epitomizes what it took to get there. And then coming down a mountain is going to be a lot faster, right? So I I think once I was at the top of that, that mountain, the Olympics were over and then boom, I'm back down to where I am now. And it's like, what's next? As an athlete, you always got to reevaluate what's next and where you're going in your career. And that's where I'm at now. And I think my next dream is Olympic gold in Rio.
2: Yeah. Actually, yeah.
1: I, I know that's my, my dream is the gold in Rio and I can taste it and I want it. And these four years are going to fly by just as the previous 16 prior to 2012 flew mm-hmm. by. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I know that the team didn't have the scoreboard success that you all would have liked in London. And I'm curious if you could share with our responsible sports listeners how you and your teammates are, are bouncing back and really focusing forward and focusing on Rio and, and what you're going to get done next time.
1: Yeah, you know, uh it takes time to bounce back from something like that because we all expected gold. But at the end of the day, you you got to reevaluate where you are in your career and if you have the desire to go for that 2016 and mm-hmm. 2020 after that because it takes it's an amazing commitment what every one of my teammates put into it. It's an amazing commitment with, with your family, with your time and you in our sport, we, we sacrifice money. We, Mm -hmm. it's, you're there for the pride and to play for your country. And so after that's over and you don't achieve what you wanted to, it's, it's almost depressing. It's a moment where you're like, Oh, do I need to, do I want to do this again? And it takes time for you to be like, yes, I want to be, I want to do it now. It takes time to get back to that point because you put so much into, into getting there and then you, we got eighth place. And so, I think, yeah, just time heals wounds. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. And
1: so now I'm, I'm more hungry than ever to get back to the
2: Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we wrap up, um, are there any sort of final tips that you have for um, the parents who are listening and the coaches and the student-athletes about just what they can do to really make the youth sports experience the best possible?
1: I think, in my opinion, the biggest... Um, driving factor as far as success and having a healthy athlete is setting goals Mm -hmm. and letting every athlete set goals properly and encouraging them to their individual goals and team goals so they know, and then you can compare and contrast between the team and what the individual athlete wants, and within that you can create a really healthy set of goals that are possible for that athlete to achieve because when athletes have goals, it gives them something to strive for. They're not just showing up at the field, at the pool, wherever their arena is, every day with, with no sense of direction. Goals give you a sense of direction and something to, uh, to work for.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, Shay, thank you so much. I really want to thank you for taking all this time um, with me today to share sort of your insights and your stories and your tips with the responsible sports coaches and parents and student athletes. And I really think they're going to be able to learn a lot from, from your experience. So thank you so much, and we'll be, we'll be watching for you in Rio.
1: Great. Thank you very much.
0: To learn more about Responsible Sports, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find valuable Responsible Sport parenting and Responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and helpful advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.